Well, hey guys, welcome home to Sugar Hill Church. It's been so amazing just to see all the pictures of you guys posting, watching online, watching at home. We've seen people watching in their pajamas. We've seen people watching on their front porches. We even saw a picture of one of the Benia kids riding their skateboard in church. I think that's so amazing. It's been so fun. Thank you for sharing these. Thank you for getting the word out. We have actually seen more people than ever engage with our church, and we think that's such a gift. That's what God's called us to, so thank you for being part of that. Uh, This week, Pastor Chuck and I are starting a brand new teaching series over the next four weeks called At the Table. And I don't know if your family's any like anything like my family, but anytime there's some event, anytime there's something to celebrate, anytime there's something, some excuse to gather, there's always going to be food. I mean, my whole life, it's always been about food. When I was a little kid, I spent a lot of weekends with my grandparents, and my granddad was one of these early risers. He'd get up at 5 or 5.30, and he didn't believe any of us grandkids ought to sleep in, so he'd start poking his head in the door at 5.30, 5.45, 6, 6.15. He wanted to wake us up because he couldn't wait to cook breakfast. I mean, he'd make a big bowl of grits with tons of butter in it. He'd make scrambled eggs. He would fry a whole pound of bacon, even if it was just me eating, a whole pound of bacon. He had quadruple bypass, so he couldn't eat it, but he expected me to eat all of it. So everything was always about food. Then my grandmother would get up and she'd throw stuff together and make a cheesy casserole of some kind. And then we'd start mashing potatoes for dinner. It was always about food. I remember even as a high schooler asking my dad, why is there so much food? Well, I think throughout history, food's been a big deal especially the table, that when people would come around a table, there'd be the sense of intimacy, there'd be the sense of connection, and honestly, just a sense of dropping my guard, dropping our guard, and just being totally vulnerable. And so that's what we're inviting us to, together as a family, to say what would happen over these next four weeks if we pulled up a seat at the table of Jesus and we started to see the meals that Jesus shared and what we could drop our guard and learn from it. And so we're thrilled you're here. We're thrilled you're part of it. Today, we're going to look at a meal that happened just eight days after Easter. In fact, last week at the Sunrise Meditation, Pastor Chuck referred to this when he said, everybody needs a second chance. And I think that is so true. In John chapter 21, here's what it says. It says in verse one, after this, Jesus revealed himself. So Jesus is showing up. Jesus is jumping into the story of the disciples. And here's what it says in verse two. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them in verse three, I am going fishing. Think about the scene for a second. This is eight days after Easter. This is eight days after Jesus has been on the cross, died, buried in the tomb, came back to life. Eight days later, they're trying to figure out life. I mean, I imagine that their whole world was turned upside down when Jesus died on the cross. They knew he had predicted it. They knew to some level that Jesus said it's going to happen. But once it finally happened, I guarantee you, it rocked their world. I believe it shook them to their core. For the last three or so years, they've been traveling with Jesus, partnering with Jesus. And now they're trying to figure out what do we do? What do we do in this new world? What do we do on the other side of Easter? And in this moment, Peter's like, the only thing I know to do is I'm going to go fishing. Listen to what it says in verse 
three at the very end, it says, and they said to him, we will go with you. So there's seven disciples now in the boat. They're going out fishing and it says, and they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. This is amazing because these aren't amateur fishermen. These aren't guys that are just weekenders that say, hey, let's go out fishing. They were professionals. Before they followed Jesus, this is what they did. It says in verse three, they got into the boat, not just a boat, into the boat, their boat. They knew what they were doing. They knew they needed to go early in the morning. They knew they needed to go before daybreak. They knew exactly where to go in the Sea of Galilee. And yet it says in verse three, they caught nothing. I imagine that must have been frustrating. I imagine they were probably sitting there. What do we talk about? What do we even do? I imagine there were those awkward, silent seasons where they're just sitting there that nobody's talking. Nobody knows what to say. Nobody knows what are we going to do. And yet it says when they finished, they had called nothing. Nothing. Not, not anything. And it says in verse 5, at that moment, Jesus shows up. They don't know it's Jesus yet. They're about 100 yards away from him. They, they don't know that it's Jesus, but here's what they do know. In verse 5, they hear a voice come from the shore and listen to this question. This voice comes out and says, children, do you have any fish? Now, I'm going to put myself in their shoes for a moment. Maybe they were kinder than I am, but when I get frustrated when I'm disappointed, when things don't work out, I get a little bit more sarcastic. Do any of y'all have the spiritual gift of sarcasm? Man, I, I totally do. And so I'm thinking if I'm in the boat and I fished all night and I caught nothing and then some voice calls out from the shore and says, children, do you have any fish? There's part of me that's like, are you kidding me? Do you see any fish? I mean, are you rubbing it in? Are you trying to push my buttons? And then this voice from the shore says, Verse six, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, again, maybe they were kinder than I am. Maybe they were thinking, well, he can see something we can't see. In my mind, I'd be like, are you kidding me? I'm supposed to just cast my net a few feet in the other direction and catch something. And yet here's what it says in verse six. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Unbelievable. They go from nothing to this giant hall. Verse seven, it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. In other words, this was such a miracle. This was so unbelievable that in that moment, John turns to Peter and says, that is Jesus. And so Peter wraps himself up tight. He jumps back into the water. He swims to the shore. The boat shows up. And in that setting, Jesus invites them to breakfast. He invites them to a table, but the table in this case is on the beach. And Jesus begins to serve them loaves of bread, and he serves them fish. I can't help but to imagine in that moment that when they saw the bread there, and they saw the fish there, that they went all the way back to the miracle of Jesus feeding thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and just a few fish. I can't help but to imagine in that moment that these disciples, for maybe the first time, realized Jesus doesn't just feed the thousands. Jesus doesn't just feed the multitudes, but Jesus cares about me personally. And so today, as we begin to think about 
what do we learn from this table? What is it that Jesus models for us or what is it that Jesus shows us in John 21 that we can take away and begin to apply to our lives in this Kona virus season? What does that look like? Well, I think for the disciples, maybe it dawned on them that they didn't just need bread, they actually needed the bread of life. And so today, in a few moments, I want to come back and I want to give you three big ideas about how we can navigate from this. But before we do, I want you to think about this bread for a moment. Think about whatever that unmet need is in your life. Think about what is that uncertainty that you're navigating right now. And I want you to take just a few moments and ask God, God, how am I doing with this? God, is there an area I need to trust you? God, is there some specific place I need you to show up in a powerful way? We'll take a moment for, for us to reflect on that, and then we'll come back, and I'll give you some ideas from this passage of what we can learn from Jesus. Last week, we introduced a new song to you. It's called God of Revival. seen what you can do, oh God of wonders, your power has no end. The things you've done before, in greater measure, you will do again. There's no prison wall you can't break through no mountain you can't move all things are possible there's no broken body you can't raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible oh the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up, God of revival, let hope arise, death is overcome, you've already won, God of revival, oh God of revival. rose in victory and now you're seated forever on your throne so why should my heart fear what you've defeated so I will trust in you alone there's no prison wall you can Break through no mountain you can move all things are possible and there's no broken body you can raise and no soul that you can save all things are possible for oh, the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up, cut 
As we continue walking through this passage together, it says in verse 9 that when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish that you've caught. In verse 11, it says, Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. I mean, this is a sign. It's a miracle. They went from nothing to 153. And in that moment, Jesus says in verse 12, come have breakfast with me. I love that. I think Jesus invites us today to his table. And I know this happens specifically for the disciples, but I think there's several lessons that Jesus wants us to learn today. Some ways for us to take his word and his example and apply it to our lives. And the first one that I would just commend to you is that we need to learn to trust his timing. Oftentimes we're in the middle of something like a pandemic, or maybe it's not this season. Maybe it's something else going on at work or something going on in your home. Oftentimes in those moments, we want a miracle. We just don't want to be in a place that we need the miracle. In other words, we want God to show up. We just don't want it to be in a season where we're desperate. And yet one of the things we learn in John 21 is that Jesus could have shown up at any moment. 
He could have showed up in verse one and said, hey, here's a lot of fish, but instead he waited until they had fished all night and they caught nothing. I think oftentimes God waits for that moment in our life. God obviously could step in at any moment and God could answer any prayer and God could do something small and he could do something big. He could do it in in a nanosecond. And yet I think oftentimes God waits until we get to the end of ourselves. I think he waits until we figure out we can't do this ourselves. I think he waits for us to figure out I can't do this on my own. I can't do it out of my own ability, out of my own intellect, out of my own creativity. I think he waits for us to get to that moment where we say, I caught nothing. God, nothing's working out. God, everything I tried to plan isn't panning out the way that I thought it would. So the first sort of principle is to trust his timing. But the second piece of that principle really is that word trust. I think oftentimes when Jesus shows up, the way that we see Jesus in this season and the way that we see Jesus throughout the rest of our life is when we learn to trust him, even when it doesn't make sense to us. I mean, I think back in this passage where they caught nothing. And so Jesus says, all right, here's what I want you to do. And again, at this moment, they they don't know who it is yet. They just know there's a voice that says, try the other side of the boat. Cast it on the right side of the boat. And I can't help but to wonder if maybe the reason we get so frustrated at times is because we're casting literally on the wrong side of the boat. We're we're trying to build a life around something that isn't going to last. And so maybe before the pandemic, we thought, well, it's about building a bigger house. And God in this moment strips that away from us and says, no, it's about building a home where your hearts are connected. Or maybe we thought, man, it's about building a 401k and Yet in the season of 201Ks, God's like, no, it's about building a life now. I don't know what that is for you, but I know in all of our lives, we have those things that we put our hope in and we put our trust in. And what we see throughout scripture is the thing that that captures our heart is often the thing that God uses to break our heart, not to hurt us, not to harm us, but to draw us in closer to him. And so maybe a lesson that we need to learn is not only to trust his timing, but trust him personally. Trust that maybe the plan that he has for our marriages or the plan that he has for our singleness or the plans that he has for what work's going to look like in the future, whatever those things may be, that his plan may not look like my plan, but I know that the one who knows me best actually does know what's best for my life. You know, one of the things I've caught myself saying during this pandemic is I can't wait for things to get back to normal. I can't wait for things to get back to normal. I'm I'm the kind of person that likes a certain amount of routine, a certain amount of stability in my life. And yet, as I say those things, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. Maybe not everything needs to get back to normal. Maybe some of the things that we've learned, seeing people in the neighborhoods walking together, seeing families spending more time together, maybe some of those things need to stay like they are now and not get back to normal. And so we need to trust his timing. We need to trust his direction in our marriages, in our finances, in our family. But ultimately, when we do, we get to see God-like results. We get to see the fruit from that. And so when they finally cast onto the other side, they pull in this net, it'd be, it's one of those moments where it seems like it ought to break. There's so many fish in there, and in that moment, it is so obvious, it's God. 
it's God. It's God. Could it be that eight days after Easter, that there's something that God's setting up in your life, something that he's using to whittle down and to strip away all the extra stuff so that you see your need for him and you begin to trust him, you begin to dig into his word, you begin to plug into small groups, you begin to love the people around you, and in that moment, you begin to see God show up in small ways and even big ways. One of the things I love about this passage is that Jesus invites them to this meal. And after that meal is over, Jesus continues a conversation with Peter. Peter, the one that was so bold. Peter, the one that was so audacious, but ends up failing Jesus three times, the thing that he said he would never do. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to restore you. I've still got a mission for you, Peter. It's almost like Jesus used that catch of fish as a metaphor to say, Peter, this is what I want you to spend the rest of your life doing. Peter, I want you to spend the rest of your life helping those far from God come closer to him. I want you to be a fisher of men in such a way that you engage everybody you can that doesn't know me and you bring them in. And then once you do, I'd encourage you to check out the end of John 21 where he says, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you not just to catch them, I want you to help them to grow up. I want you to nurture babies in Christ so that they become young men and young ladies in Christ. I want you to instruct them so that they can become spiritual mothers and fathers. In many ways, this meal restores Peter and it challenges him and commissions him. There's work yet to be done. And so today, as we think about that, as we come around the table of Jesus, I think there's several things for us to walk away with. One is if you know him, Your work's not done yet. What an amazing season for us to join the mission of Jesus in casting out nets and feeding the people around us. Casting out nets in our neighborhoods and feeding them with the truth of the gospel. Casting out nets in our companies, in our workplaces, bringing people in and pointing them to Jesus. So if you know Christ personally, man, would you be the kind of person that, like Peter, wouldn't just be audacious and have a big heart, but would follow up with action. And then the second application is that if you don't know Jesus, if there's never been a moment that you've truly put your trust in him, maybe you're tempted like the disciples to put your trust in bread, and maybe the thing that Jesus wants you to do is to trust him as the bread of life. Well, the Bible says that all of us need that, that all of of us come into this world separated from God because of our sin. But God demonstrates his love for us in that even while we're sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus didn't have to do that. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for his own sins. He died for my sins, your sins, the sins of the world. And that when he beat death, he made it possible for every single one of us to have our sins forgiven and for us to know him and to walk with him. And so if that's never happened for you, I want to invite you to do that even now. I'm going to pray out loud, but as I pray out loud, I invite you to pray in your head, in your heart. This is where it starts. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Help me to live for you. And if you just pray that for the very first time, Scripture says in Romans chapter 10 
that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. You don't have to hope. You don't have to wonder. You can know that. But if you're a believer today, I want to invite you to pray this part of the prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for helping me come to know you. Thank you that you continue to cast nets into my life. God, would you help me to be on mission with you? God, would you help me to seek and to save that which is lost? Would you help me to be part of the mission of helping those that are far from you to come to know you? And then once they know you, they would grow in love for you and that they would join you in your mission. Father, we thank you for the picture of this table on the beach. Help us to be a people that trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being part of this morning's teaching. Our prayer is that as we come to the table, we can drop our guard, we can be vulnerable, we can be connected, and we can join the mission of Jesus. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Well, thank you guys so much for watching. We have thoroughly enjoyed hanging out with you all. Hey, I don't want anybody to feel like we may make light of this time. This is definitely a challenging time. And if you ever find yourself in need of prayer, we would love to have some prayer with you. So why don't you go ahead and submit a prayer request in the comments. Or if you feel like being more discreet, you could always email us at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. Guys, we love you all so much. God is on the move and he's not going to stop just because of this. We'll see you guys at 7 on Wednesday for our midweek service. And then we'll all see you next week. Till then, go in peace.